Welcome to the One Rental at a Time podcast. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're a repeat listener, welcome back. On this channel, we have simple goals. We want to inspire investors to move forward. We want to create belief that one rental at a time is possible. And we want to help you take positive steps forward. If you want to learn more about your host, Michael Zuber, please go to Amazon and buy his book, self-titled or self-published, One Rental at a Time. I believe there's a link in the description. If you're ready to get started with buy and hold rentals, but unsure what to do, I strongly encourage you to consider buying our online course. It gives you the tools to get started, help you learn your market, allows you to compare deals, and so much more. Lastly, by buying the course, you are granted access to a private Facebook group where I and my students interact daily. Everyone is equal, and we just keep helping everyone move forward. It is so much fun to watch, and again, I believe a link is in the description. With that, on with the show. Hey everyone, thanks for watching. Uh, I have a very exciting interview for you today. I have, I don't know how else to say it, we have a mogul on the phone with us or on the, uh, on the channel today. We have Chris Grenzig uh, on the channel who has over 3,500 units. Yes, that's 3500 and has been a part of over $200 million in property purchases. So uh, we're going to have a fun conversation, but first let's welcome Chris to the show. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good, bud. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Why don't you just give a quick, you know, 60, 90 second intro to who is Chris, where are you on the country, kind of, kind of what you do, and then, then we'll dive in. Sure. I'll keep it real brief then. Uh, like you said, my name's Chris. I'm 27. I'm from New York. I live in Brooklyn, but I work on Long Island. Um, born and raised here. Uh, I got involved in real estate in January of 2016. So almost four years ago now. I uh, got started flipping houses. My mom, my cousin bought a flipping course, dragged me along kicking and screaming, but best decision uh, that they ever made and I ever made. Um, failed to flip any home for the next six, seven, eight months. Um, tried our hand at buying tax deeds down in Philadelphia, hated that instantly. Mm -hmm. um, and then just through networking and whatnot, met uh, John, who's one of the co-owners at the company I work at now, Toro. Um, and he was getting into multifamily and was raising money, decided to invest passively um, in a little eight unit, then joint ventured on another 17 units in the same area, then an 82 unit joint ventured on, uh, then moved full-time over into Toro. Um, and since I moved over, uh, we've closed on roughly 35, 3,600 units worth a little over 210 million. Um, and we got about another 500-ish units uh, in the pipeline closing this year. So um, been busy since then. Very, very cool. So help me out with the timeline a little bit. So you get, uh, sure. you get the flipping course in 2016. Yeah. When do you close on that first eight-unit property? Is that like late 17 or when, when did that go down? Yes, yeah, so that was, um, I'm going to forget the exact, date, yeah, but it was around July-ish of 2016. So it was about oh, okay. six, seven, eight months later, but that was fully, we were passive investors. So that was not a deal that we accomplished anything on beyond writing a check. No. Um, gotcha. the, the way it kind of happened was, is, you know, we met John through his cousin, just through networking and he mm -hmm. had done the taxi stuff down in Philly and kind of was like, here's my playbook, go do it. We hated it. It came back and just through 
you know, just having a conversation, he happened to be raising money at the time. And he was like, you know, I'm trying to raise money. Do you guys want to do it? You know, just kind of threw it out there. Mm-hmm. And we had just started learning about multifamily and gotten really interested in it. And about four months prior, we decided we were going to do whatever we had to do um, in whatever avenue we were going to do to piggyback off someone else and learn because we thought it was a great way to accelerate our knowledge, our growth and experience. Mm-hmm. So we said yes. Our only caveat of saying yes was can we pick your brain once a week, every other week by jumping on a phone call, going to grab, grabbing coffee, dinner, lunch, whatever. Um, and that was it. So we invested passively and then just had really good synergies from there and worked really well together and said, Hey, can we come on your side? We'll take some of the responsibilities off your plate. Mm -hmm. Um, and hopefully do more and more, you know, properties and buildings and units, um, joint ventured on the two properties. And then, um, my mom and my cousin actually stepped away a little bit. They had other things going on in their life. And I was at a point in my life where I was looking to shift away from my full-time job and, Toro was just the two, you know, Don and John at the time. Now we're up to seven people and it was just the right move for me at the right time. So, um, got very lucky in that regard. Well, you know, that word lucky always drives me a little bit crazy, right? Because preparation and execution. For sure. You kind of get lucky. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, networking and asking and and doing all those right things that that's, uh, you know, I, I just hate that word lucky. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I say lucky, you know, if I hadn't been, you know, if I hadn't done the eight months prior, I wouldn't right. have been in the position to get the job. But I was lucky in the regards that I had prepared myself for the opportunity and I was able to capitalize on it when it came available. Mm-hmm. So I say lucky, but you're right. It's not always the best word. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool, Chris. So I, I guess I want to talk about a transition because um, our journeys, comparing mine to yours starts out very similar, sure. right? We want to you know, we, we're looking to do something, invest, invest, invest. And, and where, where it changes is, is you made, you made the decision to not be active, right? Mm-hmm. You, you didn't, maybe it's because you didn't find a deal or, or whatever it is, but you, you decided to be an LP, mm-hmm. a limited partner, right? In exchange, obviously for mentoring and learning. I, I totally get that. Yep. But that had to be, that had to be an interesting transition, right? You go from being the person hunting for the deal, driving for dollars, whatever, yeah, to going, you know what? You've already got it. I'm going to give you X amount of dollars and trust you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a different mindset, right? Yeah, it's definitely you know a totally different mindset to have or a shift in focus. Mm-hmm. Um, we just kind of realized that we couldn't flip in our area just because of the margins were super thin. Um, you know, New York is a very high income, high expense area, um, home prices, um, labor, holding costs, et cetera. Um, so with margins so thin, you might make 50 to hundred thousand dollars on a flip, but that might be five, 10, 12% of, you know, total cost. And if Mm -hmm. one thing goes wrong, poof, it's out the window. So we were looking for something else and we just said, Hey, you know, instead of, you know, let's put our ego aside a little bit and let's say, Hey, there's so many other people out there that are already doing it. We have to put our money where our mouth is, which we had already done by buying the course. But Mm -hmm. instead of paying for a course, let's pay for a deal or pay for a partnership and learn through doing instead of learn through a course, which we thought, um, would bear, you know, better fruit. And Mm -hmm. obviously it did and was the right decision in hindsight. But it's definitely a different mindset to have from going from, okay, I'm going to do everything to now I'm going to literally do nothing, write a check and sit back. A little different in our regard because we had a good relationship and we were able to pick his brain and learn. But still, 
have to change. Very cool. So let's talk a little bit about the eight units. I always like, like to talk about that first deal. So was it in sure. New York or Brooklyn or where no, was it? was it? in uh, Covington, Kentucky. We don't do okay. anything in New York anymore. Um, not even, even close at all. Everything is in the Southeast Midwest United States, but that was in Covington, Kentucky. It's across the river from Cincinnati. Okay. So if you think about uh, Manhattan and Brooklyn or Queens, yep, Cincinnati and Covington, just mm. obviously much different. Yeah, a little different price points. I'm yeah, guessing. exactly. <laughs> All right, very cool. So, um, do you still own that eight units today? No, we sold it. So, um, one of the things that we looked at for that area, and we bought another 17 units there, was mm-hmm. um, we were going to do the burst strategy there with investors. That was ah. John's initial plan. We bought into that, and then we came on. Um, part of the problem we ended up running into was being able to secure financing, um, yeah. being out of state with local banks and being sub million dollars, we ran into that problem a lot, but that was our goal going into it. Once we learned that the financing part wasn't going to happen, um, instead of putting any debt on it, we said, Hey, you know, we did improve the property so much. It is what it is. Let's just sell. Um, okay. you know, and we ended up doing very well. I think we netted like, uh, a 17 or 18% annual return, um, to investors in an all cash position, which is very good. Yeah, it's very good. And you were in that deal from when you wrote the check to you got your money back a year, 15 months? Um, probably give or take 18 months. Okay. Um, so, you know, you're looking at a, you know, a 25% total. So, yeah. You know. Very cool. Okay. And you sold the eight and the 17 at the same time or? We did not. So the 17 units actually took us much longer to get done. Oh, um, okay. The contractor we had used for the eight units actually ended up stealing money from us on the 17 unit deal and on another deal john was involved in that we were not involved in he stole significantly more um so that set us back quite a bit and we kept getting offers for debt on the 17 unit surprisingly um but nothing really that we thought was good debt we thought it was going to hinder the project more than help it Mm. um and a lot of our investors did get upset with us because you know the business plan didn't go according to plan right Um, we did lose money um, luckily though, in the last three months, we were able to sell for a small profit. I think we returned about 8% total to investors, um, in an all cash position, which I think it was a little over two years. Yep. Um, you know, and we lost about $40,000 on a $550,000 investment. So, you know, by all means, yeah. not a good performing project, not at all what we thought it was going to be. Um, but luckily we were able to come out without you know, losing anything significant, even, yep. you know, returning a little bit of money, um, but did not go according to plan whatsoever. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. I want to make sure we talk about bumps in the road and yeah, for sure. Uh, obviously you're in New York. This investment was in Kentucky. You're mm-hmm. dependent on boots in the ground, which sounds for like sure. your, it was your contractor from the eight units, which at that mm-hmm. point you had trust in, right? They yeah, performed. No, did a very good job, right? They yeah. performed and you yeah. probably lit off the reins a little bit and life happens, right? I don't know if he or she yeah. got drug problems or was a thief all along. I, who knows? But that, that's, uh, that's a cost of doing business. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a learning experience. Um, luckily it was a learning experience that didn't cost us anything except time and frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't cost our investors anything either. Um, yeah, I think he just ran into money problems was the story we were being told, but you know, who knows, are we yeah. ever really going to get the true story? Probably not. Um, you know, we did end up going to court. Um, you know, there is a chance we could still recoup some money, but they've got nothing. So we're not holding our breath. Um, we didn't spend a lot to go to court either. So, 
you know, we, we footed that bill ourselves. So yeah. um, I don't expect to recoup anything, unfortunately, but we did go the, the process to see if we could get anything. Yep. Um, cool. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes people just run into problems and, you know, when your backup is against the wall, you know, your kind of true character shines through and, you know, the eight, you know, went phenomenally. He did a fantastic job. We did really nice interior units. I think we spent about twenty twenty five thousand dollars a unit because Ooh. this thing was yeah i mean all these properties needed extensive renovations the interiors were terrible there was bugs i mean it was a gut job on the inside basically and some cleanup yeah. on the exterior um but yeah he did a phenomenal job so we we're like this is going great let's give him let's give him more to do this is something we can scale yeah um you know the eight unit had remained occupied almost 100 percent the entire time we owned it yeah. these other units were very close to this one and we just thought it was a good business plan going in. And then little by little, one thing after another, um, we started hitting minor hiccups and just things yeah. that we thought would happen did not happen. Yep. Totally get it. I, I am curious often when I hear people investing out of state in units, how often do you or someone in the organization go to the job site? Is it like once a quarter? Yeah. So for um, now, it's really once a quarter. Um, mm -hmm. For that property, we were going... I would say probably every two months, give or take. Okay. Um, now it's good because, you know, we're dealing with much bigger properties. That's part of the reason we've stopped doing smaller stuff was you know, our manager was okay too. He wasn't great, but that's mm -hmm. why he was managing, um, you know, sub hundred unit properties. Yeah. Um, he also, he was a partner of ours as well. Mm -hmm. And while we put the seven, while, right after we closed for the 17 units, he ran for public office for, something in the local area. So that then took away from his time as well. So that didn't help either, but yeah. how are you supposed to know? And there was really no other options for management. So, you know, we kind of saw some of the problems we had and said, this is problems we don't think we would get in bigger markets and for larger properties. So that's why we kind of changed the business model and why I don't really look for smaller properties anymore, even on the side. Yeah. Um, plenty of ways to get it done and great deals can be found, but just not what we wanted to do anymore. Very cool. Um, but yeah, so. Okay. So lessons learned. You, 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 you've done yeah. the right things. You've taken them to court. You got a judgment. Who knows if that'll go anywhere, but you know, you're doing the right things by yourself uh, and the business. Um, mm -hmm. Was the 82 units also out there or was that somewhere else? No. So 82 units was our first deal in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. Um, we actually have our sixth and seventh property there under contract right now. Wow. Um, so we've been able to scale there pretty significantly. It'll put us right under a thousand units in that market now. Very cool. So uh, again, our, what do you look for? Is it, is it the value add kind of like you talked about in the, in the 17 units where the interiors are terrible and you want to remodel everything or what's a, what get, what catches your attention? So we've changed a little bit in the past. Um, we were very, very opportunistic. Um, we would go anywhere from, you know, the center of the U S to East, except okay. kind of the Northeast and the high North cause too cold. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we would, and we would look for any deal that we thought had value. And what kind of happened was we started getting spread really thin and we started taking on projects that were not really great for us. Um, mm -hmm. Great projects that have turned out very well, but just didn't do right by the business. So in the last 18 months, we focused on two clusters, uh, North and central Florida and five markets in the Midwest. And we've, targeted two types of deals, uh, your light to medium value ads. So spending between, you know, 3000 and 8,000 a door, stable property, five to seven year hold where you get good cash flow, good forced appreciation, um, you know, stabilized debt, et cetera. 
-hmm. And then we do also look for more of the opportunistic stuff, but nothing overly crazy uh, unless there's a unique story behind it. So we bought 60% occupied, 100% occupied, Mm. um, you know, stuff with a lot of deferred maintenance or problem tenants. So just stuff with a lot of value that doesn't have a lot of cash flow, but has really good forced depreciation on the back end. Um, But by and large, what we're looking for is properties that have some sort of compelling factor or unique backstory to it. Mm-hmm. Um, almost eight of every 10 deals listed today is somebody bought the property two, three, five years ago. They spent, you know, a million, two million, five hundred thousand on the exterior and they've upgraded 10, 20% of units. That doesn't interest us. That's not a property we're ever going to buy. Uh, we look for, you know, problems to solve operational inefficiencies, um, you know, uh, inexperienced ownership, long-term ownership, um, really good cost basis to market, um, you know, unattractive loan assumptions that we can work around, um, things like that, that I think a lot of people don't see value or interest in, and we're willing to continue to chase after those properties until the valuation makes sense and where we think um, is interesting for us and our investors. Very, very cool. Well, I'd be curious to hear your opinion on this one. So, you know, I've been investing nearly 20 years. Um, You know, the biggest thing I own is 18 units, right? Mm -hmm. So no, no JVs, no syndications, none of that. But where I'm going with this is for the first time in my career, I'm seeing multifamily blow up, meaning everybody wants it. And I don't know if it's the Grant Cardone effect or, or what it is. Yeah. Crazy today. For me, I think it's two things. I think one, it is uh, cost of debt and capital is very low. And two, I think social media and technology has made it significantly more accessible for the, I'll say average person or the average investor, Mm -hmm. um, as well as it's significantly easier to raise money. So I know probably... 20 to 30 people that started out as limited partners on a couple deals and decided, screw it. I can do this myself, decided to become syndicators or sponsors. And now they're buying 200 unit, 300 unit properties and raising, you know, millions and millions of dollars. So I think that has made it, you know, significantly more accessible for a lot more people, which has helped drive it as well as, you know, as we come towards a recession, Mm -hmm. rental real estate, is historically a safe place to park your money yeah. going into any potential downturn, recession, whatever, pending yeah. you don't over leverage it. Of yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit more because I'm glad we see it the same way. I know, because again, this channel is public. I hear from people all the time. I speak mm-hmm. at meetups and, and other bigger events. I, I know, I think I know hundreds of people. I'm now no meaning they're contacts, right? They're out there. I don't mm-hmm. know them all personally. But hundreds of people that were LPs, in a deal the last five years, mm-hmm. saw the preferred return most quarters, had a mm-hmm. liquidity event, meaning they got their bucket of cash sure. back plus more. Mm-hmm. And now they think they can be general partners or do yep. capital raises. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that freaks me out because oh, I, saw what their, I saw what the herd did in 07 to houses. Mm-hmm. I see that happening today in multifamily and people are going to get crushed in my opinion. So it's funny you say herd because I was actually going to say too, it's almost a little bit of the flavor of the month as well. Yes. You saw it back in, you know, 
2010 to probably 2013, 14, everybody mm -hmm. was flipping and wholesaling. Yeah. Um, everybody. Then it switched to multifamily and everybody's mm -hmm. there. And what I'm starting to see a shift towards now, because we've been doing it too, is mobile home parks and self-storage. Ah, um, yes, I see Because people see these crazy cap rates and especially with mobile home parks, um, it's a little unfortunate actually for the tenants. Um, those, you know, manufactured homes or quote unquote mobile homes are not mobile. They cost right. $5,000 to move. Yeah. So if your lot rent is 250 bucks, are you going to pay an extra 50 bucks a month or are you going to move your home for five grand yep. or are you just going to not be able to pay? So people are buying, are now buying value add multi mobile home parks and cap rates have compressed significantly. We were talking to, uh, the capstone brokers in Florida. And this was like six months ago, so it could have changed. Yeah. They said their average cap rate was lower than the multifamily side by like 15 bips. Oh my God. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just keep this thread. Let's keep pulling on this <laughs> not, thread. Not yeah. to scare you. No, no, it doesn't scare me at all. Shoot. It scares me. Yeah. It scares well, the shit out of me. As it should. You're, you're investing other people's money, man. <laughs> it should scare you. <laughs> I, mean, we're, I mean, at some point, at some point, just because you can raise money, if the deals aren't there, you, you've, you've got to say no thank you, right? I mean, at some yeah. point. I think the problem I'm seeing is a lot of people are raising money based on projections that are never going to happen. Exactly. Um, Just absurd. There's one, there's one in particular going around right now that a lot of our circle has seen. And we're all shaking our head kind of going, this is going to flop. Like there's no shot. This is even close. It's one thing. One thing if you should or shouldn't, but you put on paper what is pretty close to true or acceptable, um, this property in general, I can't even imagine is going to be close there. You know, it's a 2000 built property and they're projecting out 18 IRRs and that's just not the market, especially in the metro they're in. So, you know, he's projecting higher than market returns for the property he's buying. And when I looked at his projections, it was just mind numbing. I couldn't couldn't put two and two together. Um, you know, I don't like to do this, but I told a couple people, Hey, you should, you know, I would really suggest not. Yeah. Looking Pass. At this one. yeah. Pass. Um, and I really, I typically, you know, I don't like to step in other people's stuff and you know, I, I really don't like bad mouthing people and I really don't like giving too harsh of an opinion. But in this instance, this is one that I said, Hey, if I were you, I would, you know, not do this one. Um, well, so, well, I'll be harsh. Uh, I think a lot of the D, a lot of the 2019 and 2020 new syndications mm -hmm. um, aren't going to perform. So let's talk about what that might look like. First off, I don't think preferred returns are going to happen, right? Whether it's six or eight or whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, because that's just a preferred return. It's not guaranteed. Um, right. You could see a property in a recession that maybe is a truly a C class, but was advertised as a B class get hurt with turnover because tenants are living paycheck to paycheck and can't pay yeah. rent. Mm -hmm. Uh, then you're going to see a need for a capital raise. And then what was supposed to be a three to five year hold suddenly becomes a, you know, 10 or 15 year hold. Mm -hmm. I mean, th these are all things that could happen because it's the LPs aren't debt, they're equity. Right. So I believe some people, and it's probably greater than 10%, I'm hoping it's less than 50, are going to mm -hmm. get crushed by being in LPs that are frankly just overpaying because you're right, debt is cheap and mm -hmm. equity is even cheaper. I don't think, I actually don't think equity is cheap. 
I think really? equity is today very, um, what's the word I want to look for? Very unknowledgeable on uh, how to do their own analysis of deals. Yeah. Um, I find that go. to be 99 times out of a hundred when I'm talking to an investor, they skip right to the returns page. Yeah. Where's, where's the we little have, box you know, in green? <laughs> look at it, that. I was, you know, it's a little skewed because he's like a, you know, family friend, but you know, my uncle basically, and he came in, sat down and you're, you know, I was talking about a deal and I had the book out in front of him and I'm talking through stuff and I could just see his eyes gloss over and he just kind of goes, okay, but you know, what am I going to make on this thing? And I went, what are you going to make? Like what, it, it doesn't yeah. matter if I, I, one of the things I've been talking about a lot on, you know, because I've been growing more with social media and YouTube and, you know, we actually just launched our own podcast, um, is, you know, the risk reward on deals and looking at the downside even more so than the upside. If you have a all cash deal and an 80% levered deal, same exact property, and they both give you 15%, it's pretty clear which one you're going to choose, but nobody's looking at, oh, well, this has 60% debt versus 80% debt. Mm -hmm. So, but this one is a 17 versus a 16. So I'm going to go with the 17. Yeah. You go with the 16 all day, you know, apples to apples, but nobody looks at that. Nobody looks, I, I was talking with somebody, um, you know, smaller guy, just getting into it. And he was looking to buy homes as rentals. And he said, Hey, you know, like, um, you know, how do I get, you know, this property for only, you know, three to 10% down? I said, well, are you going to do an FHA and live in it? And he said, no, right. I said, don't you're going to over leverage that thing. And if it falls too low, you're going to start paying the mortgage out of your pocket. Yeah. He's like, well, why wouldn't I use the bank's money if I can? Why would I use my own money? And I was just like, do you, do you listen or do you just hear what you want? Um, <laughs> there's, so there's a lot of that. Yeah. There's too many people that are, I think, uneducated and are putting money into deals off the backs of, you know, trusting people's mm -hmm. return profile without doing their own analysis. Yeah. Well, here's a prediction for you. So the last five years, you know, certainly the last, you know, five to three years ago. So whatever that is, mm -hmm. if you were doing a multifamily value ad, you made money unless you were just a complete moron. Oh, for sure. hundred percent. Right? You made money. Uh, so a lot of those people got confident. They started raising more and more, doing more and more. This is what I think is going to happen to some of them. I think some of them are going to end up going to jail. Because it's very easy to say, mm. I have delivered a average of 15% IRR in all 17 deals I've done. You're going to go do the 18th deal. Uh, that's not going to perform as well. And what they're going to do is they're going to take money from the 19th deal, pay the 18th to keep their IRR average. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you do that one time, man, you got a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. And uh, you know, three to five years from now, we're going to see Wall Street Journal with so-and-so syndicator goes to jail. That's possible. I, I, w I didn't think you were going to go to that angle. I thought you were just going to say from they promised certain returns and people got upset. Um, I did not. Well, that's a guarantee. That, that, that's a guarantee. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, you know, most of the new people I see, almost everyone does a PPM, which I think will protect 99 out of 100 people. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that you went to taking money from another, I, I do think it will happen. How often? I don't know. Because yeah. I think a lot of, but again, it's, you know, it's going back to the contractor. Exactly. On our side. When, when pressure happens. against the wall yep. and you don't want to deliver bad news, um, you know, that's what you do. Um, so yep. maybe it's yep. definitely possible and it's oh. happened before. It'll happen again. So, um, you know, just how bad does it get and how desperate does somebody get? So yeah, it's exactly your contractor example, just at a different scale. Um, yeah.
So it, it does happen. So let's talk about your business, right? So, so, you know, 3000 units you've, so it sounds like what you've done is you said, okay, we were going to go anywhere, anytime. Yeah. My words, not yours. And then you said, well, too thin cost burden quality. You can't manage all of that. Let's yep. focus on two markets. So Florida exactly. made, makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you said, a, what did I write down? Five cities in the Midwest. Is that yes. like driving distance, five cities, or you got to jump on a plane? Um, I think maybe from like the two farthest, we might hop on a flight. Um, okay. Right now, we only own in two of those markets out of the five. So they're okay. close enough to drive. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, we, we decided to pick two little clusters, two little pockets. Yeah. Um, one, we wanted to, we use third-party management. So we wanted to decrease our number of managers we were using. Yeah. So we only use three right now because we still own uh, a deal in Mississippi and one deal in South Carolina. So we have our third management company still there, but we are in the process of exiting in the next one to two years, give or take. Mm -hmm. um, so we only have a manager up in the Midwest, a manager down in Florida, makes our systems much easier. Oh, two, for sure. Yeah. Looking to build more, you know, multifamily people go, there is the economies of scale in one property you get it even more so as you buy more and more properties in one area. So mm -hmm. that was the other reason we wanted to build more economies of scale in these areas to continue to deliver better margins, better profits, better deals, et cetera. Uh, two also makes our travel significantly easier. Yeah. We're traveling, you know, for example, we're going to uh, Don, one of the owners is going to Columbus on Thursday and Friday for our new deal in Columbus. This will be our fourth property there. Yeah. Um, he's going to go check out our two other properties we own. Going to check out this one, drive some comps, see some new properties. Boom. One trip out of the way. Yeah. Same thing with Jacksonville. We're going down on Monday and Tuesday. This will be our seventh property there. Uh, we're going to do our due diligence for that property. We're going to go check in on all our properties that we still own. And then we got a couple tours lined up as well. So it makes it very easy to go and visit these areas when you have a lot of things to do. Um, if you own you know, where I said we probably go one at once every three months, you know, it's only two trips right yeah. now, really, that's instead awesome. of six trips. Mm -hmm. But that has to happen. You know, it turns into six times four be 24 trips. Now it's only eight trips through the year. So it cuts down on that a lot, saves people because all those trips get billed back to the properties or yep. at closing for the new property. So saves money there, saves time for us. Um, so it's, it's a lot of little things that we're looking to build up and just continue to grow the company um, and just make sense from a business decision point. There's tons of other markets that we could be in. We get asked all the time, why aren't you in this market? Why aren't you in that market? And it's like, well, it's you know strictly a business decision. It's not that market's bad or that market's not good. It was, these are just the markets we chose. Yeah. Perfect example, when we were looking at the Midwest. Um, so right now the cities we're looking at are Columbus, Ohio, Mm -hmm. Cincinnati, Ohio, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and what's the last one? Uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Mm. Um, we also considered St. Louis and Kansas City. Mm. We liked Kansas City. We didn't like St. Louis, but because it's kind of like the five clustered here and then yeah. St. Louis and then Kansas City, yeah. we said there's no point in doing Kansas City if you're not going to do St. Louis. And we said five markets is more than enough. So we scrapped both, even though we like Kansas city. Yeah. Smart. We said it, it just didn't make sense for us. So, you know, more of a business decision than a market decision. Very. I mean, I think that's very intelligent. Again, you're controlling costs, time, time's thing you can't get back. Right. So that makes total for sure. sense for the business. I am curious when you look at the current market, where we are today, mm -hmm. uh, clearly you believe in market cycles, right? They go up, they go down. 
Um, be foolish not to. Yeah, be I'd, I'd be like, look at a chart, dude. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Um, I mean, when you look at it, I'm, I guess it's fair to say we're, I mean, to use a baseball analogy, right? We're in the, I don't know, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But you, when you see that, does, does your company just naturally get more conservative? Or, I mean, what, what do you do as a professional? Because really, 3,000 units, you're up there. What do you yeah. do to change the business cycle? Assuming, assuming we're late cycle, what do you, what do you do? Biggest thing we've been doing is getting less debt. Ah, we are taking less than maximized debt on all our properties. Uh, for example, the deal in Columbus, uh, we're, we underwrote to about 8.3 million in debt. We just got quoted max proceeds at 9.8 hmm. um, bridge loans. So super high levered, but we're never going to take that. Um, we're going to be much lower than that because we looked at our refi scenario and in the best case scenario, if you had to refi in three to five years, you pull out 50 grand. That's so risky on like yeah. two and a half on like 2 million bucks. Yeah. If you good. drop the cap rate a little bit, you increase the coverage ratio. I mean, you're going to have to, like you were talking about, you're going to have to go get a capital call, but I guarantee another group that's looking at this goes, Oh my God, we got a million and a half extra in proceeds. This is great. Yeah. If you, uh, because if you look at the upside, it goes to like a 36 IRR on our projections, yeah. but, but your downside is crazy. Like your break even occupancy is in the mid eighties. And we're just like, this is, yeah. this would be silly. Yes. Um, unless it was our own money. And we were like, Hey, if worse comes to worse, you know, if we had $50 million or hundred million dollars and we were like, look, we're going to do it because if things go well, we're going to make a great return. If things go poorly, we can put an extra 2 million in, you know, lower our debt and we'll be fine. We're not in that position our investors don't want to be in that position. So we're not going to do it. Um, yeah. You know, the deal on Jacksonville we're buying is a loan assumption. Uh, it's about 65%, but with a supplemental, we'll get up to about 70%. And it's just a really good cost basis to the local market. So again, not over leveraging, eight years left on loan, fixed interest rate. Um, so very attractive from that standpoint. So we're really focusing on one, the cost basis of properties. You know, yeah. all our deals in Columbus, we're buying for sub 40 a door which is historically a great cost basis. It's really tough unless that sub market, you know, goes to absolute shit that, <laughs> you know, that's not going to work out in the long run. Right. Um, or, you know, we're looking at the debt side and saying, Hey, let's make sure we have really good cushion on a need for refinance or, you know, our break even occupancy is very low or our coverage ratio is very good. So those are the two things mostly that we're doing that we think, you know, will help us or put us in a better position than most. Cause at the end of the day, we're not sitting here saying that, you know, real estate is not going to crash or real estate is going to be the best investment for your money for the next five years. We're not saying that we're saying, Hey, we like real estate. We think it's going to do well. If you also want to invest in real estate in these markets, we think we're going to put a better, safer product in front of you than most groups that are doing it mm -hmm. while also hitting solid, if not market returns. So yeah. Um, that's all we're sitting here doing. You know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel or tell you we're going to save all your capital through, you know, a downturn. So yeah, we're, we're pretty comfortable with what we've done so far. Yeah. Very conservative. I love it. The one thing that I haven't been able to answer kind of in my brain is uh, again, I think we've both said it. lots of people are overpaying today. Mm -hmm. um, but what I can't riddle myself is what happens in three to five years when the investors want their money back? Cause you can't force a sale no. from an equity position. Right. Um, you could sell portions of it and take haircuts, 
Well, but it all depends. Well, realistically, it depends on the documents, but oh, most yeah. people are not going to have in their documents that they can force us. Yeah, most people. That's fair. So that, that's what I can't, because I'm trying to figure out, because houses, I went through this before, right? I own houses. Mm -hmm. They got too expensive. I did 1031 exchanges, was safe. Then houses got ridiculously cheap. But what I can't riddle is, okay, if people are overpaying today, timeline goes three to five years, they can't refi out or sell. Mm -hmm. I just can't, I can't see lots of discounted multifamilies because they're just going to do extend and pretend or, you know, ask for five more years. I, but, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I yeah. I, I think it'll really depend on how bad it ends up being. Mm. I do, in my opinion, and you know, I lived through the recession, but I was not an adult, a professional through it. So, you know, I'd be curious to hear your opinion. Mm -hmm. I think the way that renting and the amount of, um, you know, supply and demand not being met and just kind of the way the country is and how the outlook for, you know, a predicted recession is, I don't think it's going to be nearly as harsh. Mm -hmm. I think people are still going to need a place to live. Mm -hmm. um, I don't foresee anything crazy, but obviously, yeah, you know, no one first saw 2008. So in my opinion, I think we see more of a, a flattening or a slight dip. And I think a lot of people will sell and either break even or lose a little bit of money, but I don't know that anybody's going to lose their shirt. And right. I think I tend to agree with you. I think a lot of people are going to either sell and move into the new hot property that they're going to tell you, Hey, look, we didn't do well on this one. Let's move into the next one and we'll do right. better. Yeah. Or they're going to hold through and hope that over 10 years they can, you know, get a decent return. Yeah, so the next cycle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I tend to agree with you. I think a lot of people are going to end up having their equity tied up longer than they think. Yeah. Um, I do think there's going to be some deals with capital calls. I do think there's going to be some deals people lose their money on. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some deals people are going to take a haircut on just to move on. Yeah, um, exactly. I think all of that I, is true. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know that I see anything overly crazy unless, you know, we go to war with China or some shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. The true black swan or series of yeah. black swans. You know, I, I tend to agree with you. you. You kind of asked for my experience. So this is what happens in multifamily. So I've owned kind of the B class stuff mm -hmm. during the recession. So it's lots of people talk about half truths. The half okay. truth that annoys me is occupancy increases in the recession because people need to live somewhere. Sure. Yes, that is technically true. I had record occupancy during the recession. However, mm -hmm. I'm a landlord and what kills landlords are turns. Yes. I lost like, 30% of my tenants, because they were living paycheck to paycheck and couldn't do it. They had to downside, go get roommates, go move in with mom and dad, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And then yes, people came from A's and moved to my B's. So yes, I had record occupancy, but on my tax return, I lost money because every turn was three to six grand. And I don't budget 30% turns in a year. Sure. That's going to hurt people. That is going to happen. And yeah. especially in markets that have record unemployment rates on the low end, if it doubles, man, apartments are going to crush people on an operating basis in my experience. Yeah. No, I think that's definitely interesting. Um, what did you see in terms of rental rates? How did that get ah, affected? Rental rates, the right during the first of it stalled, right? Mm -hmm. They were flat because mm -hmm. what the hell is going on? Sure. Uh, but rental rates actually increased slightly. Never oh, had to do move, never had to do move in specials. Uh, cause I had B class. If I had a class, you probably would have had to do move in specials. Sure. Uh, frankly, the only time I've ever had to have move in specials was at the peak of the housing market in 06 
where people could move, could buy a house for less of a down payment than they could my first month rent and deposit. That was mm -hmm. the only time in my 15 or 20 years that I've had to have move-in specials. It's because everybody can get a loan. Right. That's just how crazy it was. Um, so that's my experience. No, it's, that's interesting. I think you know, that's why we're so focused on right now, break even occupancy because mm -hmm. of what you're talking about. It's, you know, how much does our income or expenses have to move? Right. Yeah. We look more from an occupant, you know, an income drop, but it could move up as well. And how much does it have to drop that we can still cover our mortgage payment and be okay and not have to come out of pocket. And that's really important for us because I think, you know, the, there's going to be changes that people aren't going to foresee. I mm -hmm. think, you know, people are forecasting rent growth and that's going to affect it. I think people are forecasting market vacancy and whether it goes up or down, I think it changes. Yeah. And I think some of your expenses are going to get way more. And your, I think your bad debt is one that people are going to really see hit them that they're yeah. not forecasting. And that's going to go significantly higher. And people are going to fight harder in eviction and longer yeah. because they don't have a place to go. There's so no that's plan B. Affect, yeah. yeah. So I think that's where a lot of people are going to see it being affected. And that's why when I said, you know, we saw 85%, you know, our market is that's a market was like 93, 94% occupancy right now, mm -hmm. you know, a couple points, bad debt, a couple point concession. So you're already basically at 90, you know, yeah. how much, you know, 5%, that's what you're going to throw out there until you start, you know, losing money every month. Yeah. Just like, that's, that's ridiculous. Even though it's a short term play for us, you know, we're looking to be in and out inside two to five years, depending upon how long we want to hold and what the market's doing. Um, but and we're just like, that's not, you know, no upside is worth that risk that you could, you're 5% away from starting to lose money. That's yeah. a crazy swing. So, you know, it's, it's a really interesting point. Yeah. And again, I, I would tell you to go back and look at the numbers. And again, it's, it's not occupancy. So many people talk about occupancy. It's not even effective occupancy. Yeah. It's how many people are leaving and coming because mm -hmm. you can fake yourself out with occupancy. It's mm -hmm. like, literally, if you had to turn 10% of your units inside 60 days. That's mm -hmm. going to hurt. Yeah. Right. And um, not many people are talking about it because I've seen it. I have seen a recession in B class, good quality stuff. You lose 30% of the people because they downsize to roommates or go back with mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And then 30% come in from the A class stuff. Okay. Occupancy is great, but I just lost money all year. Yeah. I can't so afford when you said, when you said I lost money on my tax returns, was that an on paper loss or you physically, oh, physically lost, lost money? money. Physically okay. lost, not even depreciation. I physically lost money because I turned 30% of my units, which if you average it at five grand, yeah. right. Is, you know, more than I, more than I plan for every year. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, any, you know, any property you buy, if you don't account for increased turnover, you know, because in, for our stuff, we typically see anywhere from, 40 to 60, depending on property size and mm -hmm. whatever, uh, turnover, you know, if you're at 50, but it goes to 70, 80%, that's going to increase. So where I keep saying break even occupancy, mm -hmm. it's a function of both. It's increased okay. expenses or decreased income. So it's just more of a function of, you know, that's just the number we use. It's if income falls to 75%, that's what it is, but you can, you know, we look at it both ways. It's just right. more of a, the term we use. Otherwise yeah. we'd be, the term would be way too long. We'd yeah. I never get, get anything done. There you go. Well, I love everything you're doing. I think people need to check you out. How can they 
learn more about your company and you? Is it social media, website? How can they find out more about what you guys have going on? Yeah. So if you want to check out what we're doing, uh, our website is tororep.com, T-O-R-O-R-E-P.com. Uh, we just launched a podcast. It's called the Real Estate Investing Experience. We're on every platform and on YouTube. Um, if people want to get in touch with me, uh, the best way is either my email, chris at tororep.com, uh, or I'm pretty active on Instagram, uh, at chris.grenzig. Um, you know, pretty responsive to DMs usually within a day. So, you know, feel free to hit me up, chat, whatever. Um, I'm around. Very cool, Chris. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate your experience. Uh, it's very impressive to see what you've done at 27. You got a great head on your shoulders and you're going to live through it. two or three different cycles. So, uh, make sure you're taking your lessons learned and, and have some fun. Yeah, exactly. In a weird way, I'm almost excited for it because I keep hearing it's going to come and it hasn't come yet. So I'm excited to see what it holds almost. Just remember that excitement in two or three years when you're in the depths of the bottom that you were excited. <laughs> just, just remember. I'll just keep watching this video over and over. <laughs> yeah, you go keep watching it over and over. All yeah. right, Chris, man. Thank you very much. Yep. Thanks.